being in Tibet three times in my life, uh, I've seen situations firsthand. Uh, people are being watched over every single moment of their lives. Uh, they are not allowed to practice their religion and their culture freely. They are not allowed to teach in the monasteries there uh, until they go through a series of um, uh, communist re-education. Um, no nothing is permanent. Um, the good times will have to end. The bad times also would have to end. But his holiness have took upon himself the, um, the weight of Buddhism and the, uh, to teach around the world where the institution, whether it has to remain or not, it still depends on the Tibetan people. That um, please, I have something for you. Please take it out of Tibet. So then he took out a casket and then it uh, enshrined the um, bone relic of Tibet. Silence Voices of Young Tibetans is a podcast presented by the Foundation for Nonviolent Alternatives where young Tibetans share their personal stories, experiences, opinions and journey in exile. Namaste and welcome to our FNWA podcast Unsilenced Voices of Young Tibetans. Today we are blessed and privileged and even fortunate to have with us His Eminence the Ninth Kusang Doji Rinpoche. Uh, Rinpoche is a Buddhist teacher, a Tibetan astrologer and an architect. Uh, at the age of two, he was recognized as the reincarnation of the previous Kusang Doji Rinpoche. Rumuchela has completed three-year retreat and upholds the responsibility of his lineage to spread Buddhism throughout the world and inspire people. Rumuchela continues to do his work through his various centers throughout the world, including Singapore, Nepal, and India, notably. Rumbuche also returned and visited Tibet three times to receive teachings and empowerment so as to continue his lineage. During the COVID pandemic, Rinpoche voluntarily initiated various vaccination drives that helped many Tibetans in New Delhi, including myself, and continues various charity work. Most recently, during the holiest month of the Tibetan calendar, the Sakadawa, Rinpoche kindly venerated the holy relics of Lord Buddha and his two disciples at the World Buddhist Center in the presence of respected Srimati Rinchil Hamula the Buddhist member of the National Commission for Minorities of the Government of India. So on that note, I and the whole team at FNVA humbly welcome Rinpoche to our podcast. Just delay. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you, Rinpoche. So Rinpoche, the first question that we would like to put upon you is, what is your view on the current state of Buddhism and what exactly is Buddhism in general? So Buddhism, uh, as you might know, it's one of the fastest growing um, religion in the world today, um, especially in the West. Uh, many people from different walks of life have, um, have been intrigued by the teachings of the Buddha. Um, they tend to seek answers uh, from their uh, daily lives through the teachings of the Buddha himself. Um, so many people seek um, things like uh, what's the cause of suffering? What's the uh, antidote towards this the suffering that we are all going through in the samsaric cycle? So uh, many doctors, scientists, um, even actors and famous uh, personalities, they have all turned towards Buddhism and they have themselves find some truth or find some answers uh, in their own lives through the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, Buddhism in a nutshell, it's uh, about the 
view of dependent arising and interdependency where um, we exist um, on the basis of uh, uh, interdependency where I exist because you exist and you exist because I, I exist so we should be practicing um, loving kindness and compassion towards each other uh, practicing oneness in the world with seven billion human beings and um, uh, practicing the teachings of uh, Ahimsa and Karuna. Uh, indeed, Rinpoche, you definitely shed much light on what Buddhism is in, in general. But I myself, being from a Tibetan family and being brought up in a Buddhist family for that matter, like we have our own Tibetan tradition of Buddhism, right Rinpoche? So what I observe is that this very tradition, the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism has various followers throughout the world, especially in the Himalayan belt region. So, Rinpochela, what exactly is Tibetan Buddhism and how did Buddhism in the first place come to Tibet? So, Buddhism flourished um, 1,200 years ago in Tibet and uh, uh, in the high mountains of uh, uh, the Himalayan region at the time. There was no place called Tibet and Nepal and India and, uh, at that time. It was, it was all small kingdoms and stuff. So, um, Buddhism was the lifeblood of the nation at the time. After 1959, everything started changing with the Cultural Revolution that uh, had happened. And uh, Buddhism was uh, becoming illegal and was uh, actually named. Uh, that religion was is poison. So therefore, um, anyone practicing Buddhism was uh, actually like brainwashed into like uh, Buddhism is a poison that would poison your mind and you need the liberation from the Chinese liberation army um, but still a lot of Tibetan masters uh, were produced uh, in that holy land of Tibet because of their faith and devotion towards the Buddha Dharma and to the teachings and the blessings of the lineage of the Buddha from the Nalanda tradition um, so the teachings of the Buddha consist of uh, three different vehicles, the um, Hinayana or you call the Theravada and the Mahayana which the, we call the greater vehicle and also the Vajrayana which consists on, of Tantras. Um, the Tibetan Buddhist uh, tradition is more focused towards the Mahayana tradition where um, we talk about the Bodhisattva vows, where Bodhicitta is the main uh, teachings. So, uh, and together with the tantric practices, which was introduced by the great master Padmasambhava. Um, so, this is how the Tibetan Buddhism was being established. And through that, we have four major sects of the Tibetan Buddhist lineage. Firstly, the Nyingma school, which is the older tradition, the older translation, we would say. Then after that, towards the Kaju, Kaju, which is the lineage of the Kamapas, and also to the Sakyapas, and then to the most recent, the Gelupa lineage, which the Dalai Lama uh, is from. Uh, so these four lineages, they teach the Buddha Dharma uh, in different methods and ways that could adapt to people from different um, uh, ways of life and different local uh, traditions. So they all teach the same teachings of Buddha which would guide one towards enlightenment. So like in the Nyingma, they teach the Dzogchen, which we call Dzogchen, uh, Dzogpa Chembo. 
in the Sagya, they teach the teachings of Namde. In the Gaju, they teach Mahamudra. And in the Geluk, they teach Namrim, Namrim Chemo. So these are all the teachings that would bring one towards liberation, um, but just being taught in different ways and methods. So basically, even though Rinpoche, Tibetan Buddhism has these various sects, at the end of the day, the goal is the same, to achieve enlightenment, to help others. And on that note, Rinpoche, your, yourself being a very renowned Buddhist practitioner for that matter, like you've been traveling around the world, explaining and sharing the benefits of Buddhism and explaining what Buddhism is for that matter. And you've been to Ladakh, I mean, not only last year, but through a lot of occasions and you're also planning to visit Ladakh again this year. So when you visit visited Ladakh last year, like especially when you met the Buddhist practitioners there, and even the lay people of Ladakh, what did you feel while interacting with them? So I went to Ladakh. Um, my first trip to Ladakh was uh, host a health camp um, to actually offer um, medical uh, camp and treatment, not treatments, but rather uh, tests and uh, these tests would actually um, detect the bacteria which would cause cancer and uh, if be the bacteria being detected they are being offered a 14 day course of medication to um, uh, kill the bacteria that's uh, in the body uh, that would advance into cancer in future if it's not um, uh, taken care of um, secondly the people of Ladakh have really much devotion and faith towards the Buddha Dharma because uh, in the uh, Buddhist, the adapting the Tibetan culture and the um, Buddhist culture, um, it has been very closely linked with uh, the teachings of His Holiness the Dalai Lama uh, and the way they welcome His Holiness um, to Ladakh was very heartwarming for me because um, when I was there I've seen they took all the setups they made the so make the arrival of his home so grand and they clean up clean up the whole place with you know all these flowers and all these decorations it really warmed my heart seeing this and it's my wish and aspiration that we Tibetans could do the same one day uh, in Lhasa the, uh, in front of the Potala where it's the home of the Dalai Lamas and um, also with the recent allegations and defamations by um, different media and person personalities um, the Ladakh people uh, as a whole um, have actually stood up against uh, the uh, defamation against his holiness and uh, stood with support so that was really really nice uh, of them to do that Indeed Ramuchila and so moving a bit about Buddhism and its origin, which is India. So India basically, if we talk through the history of annals, it basically has like, I mean, it's debatable, but people generally talk about how it has like four major impacts and phenomenon, namely the Vedas, Buddhism, Islam, and Western imperialism. So there was a time when Buddhism was flourishing, but right now people point out how the Buddhism then is not comparable with the Buddhism now. So what is your observation on that, Ramushen? So I think the, um, the focus of materialism and materialistic um, desires are more today than in the past. 
today we have Facebook, we have iPhones, we have uh, fancy cars, and we have iPads. Yeah, we have things that that really you know a lot of things that we want more than what we need actually. In, the, in, in those days, as more more to things that they need rather than what they want. Um, but today, I think with more distractions in the world and also a lot of mental stress because you have to work to support your own life. So also as a Buddhist, we teach the uh, teachings of uh, impermanence. Um, nothing, is imperma nothing is permanent. Um, the good times will have to end. The bad times also would have to end because uh, in Buddhism, we see things as nothing there was no beginning there was no end and there's nothing that would last forever so um buddhism once flourished uh, uh, in india and tibet um, but there was a time that it degenerated and also from today's uh, view i think buddhism is again flourishing especially in the west um, i think Pulis the 14 dalai lama has a great part to play in the flourishing of the Dharma and, and around the world. I think he, um, I think kinder than the Buddha himself. The Buddha was only able to teach in India and the countries uh, around, but his holiness have took upon himself the um, the weight of Buddhism and the uh, to teach around the world. Uh, even with his age, is still teaching to all different countries and to different people so i think his holiness really was a is, is a representation of what uh, the buddha dharma is and also buddhism is not about blind faith and uh, something where you should believe me and i'm the only way but rather um, buddhism is a psychology of uh, uh, a way of life and buddha himself said that do not believe in my teachings, but rather um, investigate whether the teachings are as beneficial to oneself or others. Like, uh, as, as a postmate would uh, actually test gold, if it's 24 karat or is it a Sunday market gold. So uh, just as a goldsmith would test gold by firing the gold and rubbing the gold. So you should investigate the teachings of the Buddha the same way and to see if it's much beneficial to yourself and to others. Indeed, Rupashila, you your wisdom on this topic of how, you know, like Buddhism and its philosophy of impermanence applies to how we cannot compare definitely sheds a lot of wisdom on it. And since you bought the name of His Holiness, the 14 Dalai Lama, we all know that and even the world recognize how he is the shining example and the leader among the Buddhist community. Of late, there has been a lot of talk, in particular, about the process of his reincarnation, especially after he attains Parinirvana. Uh, what is your thought on that, Rinpoche? And on top of this, what is your thought on the process of emanation as the process of reincarnation? Because recently, the famed Tibetologist Claude R.P. had written an article stating how emanation is the way forward when it comes to selecting the next reincarnation of his holiness. So firstly, um, on the topic of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, I think I'm no one to actually talk about this reincarnation because they as the beings, they would choose what's most beneficial for the people and the situation at the time. Um, but if I need to <laughs> speak about this issue, um, I think His Holiness have always said that 
um, the institute of the Dalai Lamas would de be depend dependent on the six million Tibetans because he himself is the body, speech and mind of Chirizik, which is the guardian deity of Tibet. Therefore, his institute, whether institution, whether it has to remain or not, it still depends on the Tibetan people. Um, going back onto the uh, reincarnation process, um, in Tibet there are different ways to uh, recognize um, reincarnations. Firstly, it's by re uh, reincarnation by birth. So when someone passes away, the closest disciple would um, look for signs and, uh, and ask to different masters about the reincarnation of the next child. Whether is he the, re the unmistaken reincarnation of the previous master? Does he have the same attainment, the body, speech and mind, the merit of the previous teacher? Um, secondly, we have the uh, reincarnation where we call the five different manifestations so some teachers can choose to reincarnate or manifest their body speech mind activity and merits so a single teacher can have five emanations so they can reincarnate into five different bodies and is there an example of such a being yeah there's a great master Rime master uh he reincarnated uh, into five different manifestations so the third uh, method of succession is um, by emanation, as like you have said. Um, in Tibetan, we call it the Madetugu. Madetugu literally translates into reincarnation before death. But what contradicts here is reincarnation is actually after death. You need to be dead <laughs> before you can reincarnate into another person. But um, through special circumstances, um, these higher beings, they would have taken different steps and measures to make sure that the successor would be someone who is of beneficial to the situation and to the people uh, at the time. So I think um, there are some uh, examples like in the Drikung, Drikung Monastery, there's a, a, a Tuku who have actually um, pass on his ship to his own son because seeing that his son has attained the same level of attainment uh, of, his, of his practice so he has recognized that he should be my next successor rather than opting to be reincarnated as a Tupu. So um, this is the third way of uh, recognizing a next successor. So indeed Ramushila, you definitely shed much light on this whole confusion of emanation which is much talked about these days and moving on Ramuche, like uh, I think all of us are aware of it about the situation of Buddhism inside Tibet since the illegal occupation by the People's Republic of China it has been deteriorating each day in our very eyes for example we have order number five which certifies Rinpoche and Tukus by the Communist Party of China even though they tend to believe that they are atheists, they don't believe religion, but they certify such Buddhist lamas. On top of this, we also have them banning Buddhist teaching on popular social media apps, crackdowns on various Buddhist institutions, namely Harungal, Trako County, and also targeting several Buddhist leaders which eventually push them to commit self-immolation. On top of all this, we have the 11th pension Rinpoche, who is of a similar age to you Rinpoche, 
he along with his family has been abducted by the CCP in 1995 and since then we have we know nothing about his whereabouts. So in such a context, how do you see the situation of Buddhism inside occupied Tibet? So the um, situation in Tibet remains uh, very oppressed. Uh, me myself being in Tibet three times in my life, uh, I've seen situations firsthand. Um, people are being watched over every single moment of their lives. Um, they are not allowed to practice their religion and their culture freely. Uh, even today, they are not allowed to uh, study uh, their own um, language in the schools. So modern education like science, mathematics and histories are all uh, being taught in Chinese Mandarin rather than Tibetan language itself. So these are uh, some sorts of um, oppression that the Communist Party of China has infused in the Tibetan communities. Uh, and a lot of, of Tibetan lamas who have came into exile, um, who have done their studies and have gone back to Tibet, they are not allowed to teach in the monasteries there uh, until they go through a series of um, uh, communist re-education where they are being um, forced to sign a certain contract where you're not allowed to talk about politics, you're not allowed to talk about the teachings of His Holiness and things like that. Um, even, even though the harsh treatments or the orders by the Chinese government, there are still a lot of teachers that actually um, take the risk, uh, risking their own lives. You know, they, they might be sent to prisons or uh, they might be uh, put into prison camps and stuff like that. But there are still a lot of teachers who still outrightly teach the Dharma and uh, uh, risking their own life to preserve the teachings uh, of the Dharma, uh, which is what the Tibetans are proud of to have. Because in Tibet, the only thing we have left is our culture and the Buddha Dharma. And on the topic of His Holiness, the Fenton Rinpoche, uh, since 1995, his disappearance has been a worldwide um, news issue as the youngest political uh, prisoner till date. Um, and in turn, the Chinese CCP government have uh, made a puppet Benjamin Lama, which was recognized um, in a very contradictory way because uh, to choose a reincarnation, you need to be um, uh, what you call tested with different methods. Whether this boy is the real reincarnation, whether does he recognize his previous lives, uh, what you call uh, personal items and stuff like that, and through many signs and divinations. But the Chinese government has used um, methods like uh, golden urn, where you put names of candidates inside the urn and you're supposed to shake it and pick up like a lucky draw. See, so I don't think this is the way where how reincarnation actually works. Basically, so they've made a joke out of it. Yes, not? yes. So, um, and even uh, recently in uh, Tibet, the, the puppet pension was being toured around Tibet, and <laughs> the Chinese government has been paying as as paying. Um, 100 yuan, which is 14 US dollars, to allow uh, to make Tibetans receive blessings from him. See, so I think these are all just 
um, tactics by the the CCP government to actually use a puppet to control uh, the Tibetan people with the backing of the Chinese government. Indeed, you definitely shed much light about the situation of Buddhism inside Tibet and how grim it is and the very example of the Chinese puppet mentioned Rinpoche having to you know like sort of pay people to receive his blessing sort of gives a fair bit of idea about how the situation of Buddhism inside is right now. So Rinpoche like now since we've explored how Buddhism is inside occupied Tibet I would like to dwell upon the status of Tibetan Buddhism in our diaspora and what are the major challenges one faces here. So I think we as exiled people, um, we are living in a free country in India. We are very grateful to India to host us and, and host to host us for so many years. So we are very grateful to our host country, India. And um, His Holiness being exiled might not be a bad thing here because in the olden times, uh, when His Holiness was only in Tibet. Buddhism, he, can, he could only teach Buddhism in Tibet itself. But since 1959, um, when he took exile in India, and to that, traveled to so many countries to teach and propagate the Buddha Dharma, so to spread the teachings. You know, in Tibet, we have only the teachings of the Buddha that remain really dearly to us, our only asset assets of um, uh, Tibetan people as the Dharma that has been taught and be, has been um, brought by the, by the many Tibetan kings in the past. So um, Buddhism is uh, flourishing around the world to the hard work of His Holiness even though we do not have a country but I think there are three things that cannot be hidden. <laughs> one is the sun, one is the moon and the third thing is the truth. So His Holiness has always taught that um, whatever you do, you have to be truthful, truthful to yourself and always live a life with peace and, how, and loving compassion towards others, all sentient beings. As a Buddhist, sentient beings are like our mother. Our mothers uh, has been kind to us, so we do not harm our own mothers, just as we do not harm other sentient beings. So, Rinpoche, definitely, the Buddhism, the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism has been flourishing since we came to exile under the guidance of His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama, and many other several Buddhist leaders of Tibetan heritage. And Rinpoche yourself have been, has, is one of them, and you have taken various initiatives in helping our Tibetan community and the Sangha community as a whole, including giving COVID vaccination drives and the recent announcement regarding scholarships to Tibetan students. And I myself have been a recipient of the COVID vaccination drive myself. So, Mucha, what inspires you to undertake such initiatives? I think as a Buddhist myself and through the teachings of His Holiness, spreading loving kindness and compassion is number one. Um, His Holiness was teaching teaches about if you cannot um, benefit others at least do not harm others right so me just being a simple practitioner I might not be of much help towards others but um, with whatever I can do I try to benefit others uh, that can in turn help more people so 
um, our scholarship um, has uh, been going on for the past two years. Uh, we have um, now uh, offered grants and scholarship to more than uh, 18 uh, students. So on the um, COVID, during the, the time where we were all um, in lockdown, um, I was feeling very helpless. So I thought that there was a lot of people dying and there should be something that we as Buddhists um, could do, could offer. So Buddhists always talks about saving lives. We giving up meat and saving lives and doing that liberation of animals and stuff like that. But I thought that the best liberation was saving lives through vaccination, where these um, medicines and these vaccines could save a lot of lives. So as like I said, um, all sentient beings are like our mothers. So offering our own mothers the vaccination which would save their lives. I think this is <laughs> my my part, something that I could do for uh, people. So Rambushala, before wrapping things up, you've been kind enough to all of us present here to bless us with the holy relics of Lord Buddha. Um, so Rambushala, could you tell us the very story behind this relic and how it came into being? So the um, this precious relic of the Buddha was actually uh, entrusted to me um, when uh, I was in Tibet. Um, during my last trip to Tibet, uh, this old monk came to my room uh, just before midnight and he told me that, please, I have something for you. Please take it out of Tibet. So then he took out a casket and then it uh, enshrined the um, bone relic of the Buddha. This um, is the uh, holiest sacred relic of the Buddha. Um, the relic was actually entrusted to me by a very old monk. Um, it was hidden um, uh, during the Cultural Revolution. It was hidden in actually a um, butter lamp. So there was a big butter lamp in the monastery and it was hidden for I think more than 20 years inside the butter. So um, at that time no one remembered about this until when things became a little bit better in Tibet, situation became better, this old monk, uh, he remembered about this uh, precious relic and he took, he cleaned, cleaned up all the butcher and actually took out this relic and then in, installed it in this casket. So um, the history of this um, relic is uh, uh, Atisha, uh, after coming back uh, from Indonesia, um, he actually was circumambulating the Mahabodhi Stupa in uh, Bodh Gaya, um, present-day Bihar. And while he was circumambulating the Stupa, there was a Tara statue. So uh, we believe that this Tara was self-emanated from the rock. So this Tara had spoken. So we call it the Droma Sunjuma. So the Tara had spoken saying that it would be very beneficial if you could take uh, uh, a trip to Tibet or you should go to Tibet to actually revive the Dharma which was degenerating at the time because uh, at the time there was a king called Lang Dharma who actually actually destroyed all the Buddhist teachings and uh, all the Buddhist masters were being imprisoned and, and things like that. So Atisha went to Tibet to revive the um, uh, Buddhist teachings and uh, he also um, brought this relic back to Tibet. 
and uh, from then on the Kadam lineage which was uh, the teachings of uh, Atisha himself the Kadamba tradition started since then so this itself is the relic of the Buddha till today you can see it's still multiplying yeah, so uh, when I first got it I was quite um, a little bit I think I was not really able to believe that it was the relic of the Buddha um, because I was young at that time number one and um, it just seems like another piece of um, holy object but to really think that it's a bone of the Buddha would be something unimaginable to receive to be in uh, contact with such an holy object so uh, through many many years of my practice and prayers I could have seen uh, I, I've seen the uh, miraculous display where it has been multiplied um, I've even sent one piece of the relic to um, uh, US to do the carbon dating and DNA test um, but when the result came back um, they could only give me a a carbon dating of 2600 years old where uh, it coincides with the Buddha's time but the DNA was uh, there was no re no results for the DNA because um, there was no descendants of the Buddha to uh, match the DNA of the, the Buddha himself so therefore um, uh, me myself have, with great faith and devotion have um, venerated this relics for many many years since my last trip to Tibet and also recently during the Ladakh Molan Chemo in Bodh Gaya um, at first they invited me and said that there was 500 people that's going to um, gather and pray for world peace and when I went there there were 5,000 people that appeared you know so um, I think the people of Ladakh their faith and devotion is really really deep deep rooted in, in their lives so um, on the day where the relic was brought to the um, holy um, pavilion where we recited prayers um, relics 32 pill relics grew and fall out of the main relic so it, uh, when I was talking to uh, uh, my teachers and the other host of the uh, Mulam teachings uh, they just really were inspired and said that the devotion of the Ladakhi people and all the Buddhists alike manifested such miracles so um, through this um, Buddha wants to show that everyone can be a Buddha through faith, devotion, hard work and practice. Everyone can attain their own enlightenment. So there's a book that says enlightenment in the palms of your hands. So whatever you do now could be uh, whatever the cause and the effect of the future. It's all upon yourself. This is a small uh, gift for your organization. Um, being a organization organization that practices non-violence and loving kindness and compassion the statue is of Maitreya who is the future Buddha and Maitreya means loving kindness so with this we hope that you can spread more loving kindness and compassion throughout the world and uphold the teachings of the Buddha thank you so much thank you. so on this very blessed and auspicious note I would like to end our session here and would like to quote from your late spiritual master, the late Lama Rinpoche, Rinpoche, if I may be honored to do that. Like, live with compassion, work with compassion. Thank you, Rinpoche. Thank you. For more updates and videos via Fenway, click on the link and please subscribe to our channel.
Thank you for watching.